Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to the Northern Miner Podcast, and I'm your host, Matthew Keevil, and this is episode 51. One more, and we'll be celebrating our uh, our one-year uh, anniversary, roughly, I think. I, we might have missed a couple weeks, so we might have gone over, but officially, episode 51 is next week, so we'll try to put something special together for you. Uh, we thank you for following us along on this journey. It's, I can't believe it's been a year. This is a bit wild and crazy, um, but this week, we have uh, a pretty uh, pretty strong episode for you. Uh, Leslie's going to swing by. Actually, Actually, we met in a coffee shop, so it's a little. <laughs> Once again, we have an on-location uh, segment where there's uh, there's actually a baby crying in the background in this one, I think. But uh, but interesting content. Uh, we are going to be talking about uh, Nunavut and the Northwest Territories. Uh, Leslie just finished her uh, recent geological wrap-up of uh, Canada's North. Uh, you will recall we did the Yukon uh, previously, uh, but this is just finishing off actually the last of Leslie's cross Canada geology tour, uh, wherein she uh, did uh, a look at most of uh, the Canadian geological provinces and sort of uh, did uh, uh, province by province special sort of articles uh, that are going to come together at our Canadian Mining Symposium in May uh, in a really cool magazine where we're going to have sort of a cross Canada look uh, at the geology and exploration potential uh, for the different provinces and uh, geological landscapes in the country. Uh, so uh, we'll, we'll go to that in a little bit. Uh, right now, we'll uh, quickly run through our macro. Uh, things haven't been looking so good. Uh, as we've talked, I had a few uh, few um, humorous conversations over the past week uh, with people coming back from PDAC and being like, oh no, PDAC drove metal prices down again. Hey, we're not saying anything about correlation causation here, but there does tend to be a PDAC lull. So hopefully it's just a little bit of a hiccup uh, in our road to recovery. Uh, but uh, metal prices have been down over the last week. Uh, we've noted gold has been down. Uh, we do expect the U.S. Federal Reserve to increase interest rates on Wednesday. Uh, they have the uh, March 14th, 15th meetings of the Fed. Uh, the uh, interest rate hike should come down the pipe, pike uh, based on uh, what they say is continued um job strength and uh, lower unemployment rates, uh, the veracity of those figures, uh, depending on who you talk to, uh, the uh, health of the U.S. economy can be a little bit of a contentious uh, subject to talk about, uh, whether those numbers are uh, truly indicative of uh, underpinning strength or whether they're a little bit of uh, economic accounting mumbo jumbo uh, remains to be seen. But uh, once again, we also saw strong uh, strong numbers in Canada with uh, the unemployment uh, rate at multi-year lows. Um, so yeah, the economy's have been trekking along. One thing that we uh, that we note in terms of gold um, is that there's a little bit of uh, uncertainty uh, in terms of European elections coming up. We mentioned that there is a major election in France in uh, April, May, um, and then the market was also focusing on Wednesday's Dutch parliamentary elections. Um, Scotiabank noticed, noted that while the risk of a Eurosceptic party seizing power is small, a strong election performance could renew concerns regarding what could take place in the French elections. Uh, so basically what we're looking for is more Brexit problems in Europe. Uh, that briefly bumped gold, um, but uh, it's nothing compared to the looming U.S. Fed rate hike expected on Wednesday, which subsequently drove gold downwards. Uh, we're just uh, at $1,203.90 per ounce at the time of recording. Uh, meanwhile, silver is at $16.99 per ounce, uh, and West Texas Intermediate Oil is trading at $48.39 per barrel. Speaking of energy and industrials, uh, we did see uh, a rather strong uh, uh, report from China's National Bureau of Statistics over the weekend, uh, announcing a what they called a strong economic performance to tar start 2017. As we mentioned last week, China has sort of 
revised their annual GDP growth target downwards to about 6.5%, uh, which is only a marginal decline from about the 6.7% they posted last year. Uh, but we will be keeping that an eye on that on the demand side, both in terms of uh, consumables like copper and also um, the met coal and iron ore markets, uh, because we have seen a uh, bounce back, as we noted, uh, uh, late in 2016 in terms of met and seaborne coals. Um, and uh, what, what happened over the weekend, actually, interestingly enough, um, a major accident at a coal mine in Shangxi province, uh, China, China's biggest coal producing region, uh, has led to a suspension in mining activities in Shangxi County. Uh, this is mostly thermal, but some of the uh, met supply is also affected. Um, furthermore, uh, sources have told, uh, I believe it's Bloomberg, uh, that some shipments of premium hard coking coal that were due to arrive in China in April may be postponed till May, given operation issues at a key Australian port. Uh, so we continue to see a little bit of tightening in terms of seaborne coals. Um, and as far as China is concerned, we'll keep an eye on their uh, propensity to sort of uh, apply regulations to how often coal companies can produce or coal mines can produce. Uh, so we'll pay attention to that as well. Um, but the big story, I guess, in terms of uh, specifically copper, uh, which was trading at roughly $2.63 per pound at the time of recording, uh, is on the supply side. This is the big story right now. Um, supply side issues are, are consistently been in focus since uh, the start of the new year when it comes to copper. Uh, this has led to a broadly bullish tone across a number of, uh, a number of outlets. Um, uh, we uh, have been reported that uh, there has been no hint of further talks at Escondida, BHP's mine, um, and the strike at Freeport McMoran's Cerro Verde operation began in earnest uh, this past weekend. Um, so what we have here is uh, workers uh, put down tools at uh, Freeport's majority-owned Cerro Verde copper mine in Peru, uh, halting 95% of copper uh, production at the site. Um, this is also a, a union issue. Uh, nearly 1,300 unionized workers are participating in in an indefinite strike at Cerro Verde um, in a bid to secure reportedly improved family health benefits and a larger share of profits. Um, meanwhile, uh, a local paper, La, La Repubblica, uh, reported that striking union and representatives of Cerro Verde are meeting today to find common grounds in their demands and end the strike. But as we've seen at Escondida, these can be protracted uh, long-term uh, labor situations. Um, and as noted, these have uh, sort of uh, changed people's tune a little bit as far as uh, near-term copper demand supply dynamics. So uh, we will keep our eyes on that um, as we move forward. Uh, we've been watching sort of this uh, supply side story evolve in the copper space over the past, uh, well, I guess uh, three or four months now. Um, but uh, yeah, so that sort of wraps up our macro. Uh, take a look at the Fed meeting, March 14th, 15th, the U.S. Fed. Uh, we will likely hear about the interest rate hikes on Wednesday. Um, and uh, we'll see how uh, how that affects gold. A uh, few analysts I've talked to. Uh, note that it probably puts a near-term cap on the gold price. So we will uh, pay attention to that. Um, but for now, let's uh, let's hop over and have a visit with Leslie. Uh, we are going to chat about uh, geology and prospectivity in Nunavut and the Northwest Territories. We will dig into uh, some of the junior companies like Nighthawk Gold and Oran Resources. We will talk diamonds. We will talk gold. We will talk nickel. And we will talk a little bit of uh, auxiliary base metals, some zinc and things like that, iron ore. Um, but uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's hop in, have a little chat with Leslie, and I'll see you on the other side uh, to talk actually about the Canadian Mining Symposium. See you then. Well, I thought that today I would just kind of go on the fly, 
about the geology and metal districts of Northwest Territories and none of it. None oh, of it. None of it. None yeah, of it. that's right. None of it. None of it. Uh, that's because you just did the big geological piece on uh, on the northern geology, right? Yeah, and it should be coming out sometime. I guess when you're listening to this, it'll be coming out either already or this week. Nice. Yeah. So it was uh, it was NWT and Nunavut then because we did the Yukon previously. Right? We've basically done every single province yeah. and territory in Canada. This is my last article. And this is where we this is all going into a magazine that's going to London for yes. our Canadian mining symposium. So yeah. this all gets wrapped up together. So you may have caught over the course of I guess how long have you been working on this? Like a year? Oh my gosh, like <laughs> six months I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So in various podcasts we've talked about the metal districts because Leslie's been. Uh, making her way across Canada, essentially, right? So, yeah. Uh, so, how are we going to kick start it with? Uh, do we want to split Nunavut and NWT up, or are they definitely, kind of the same thing? Or? Definitely, definitely not. Okay, okay. We are not splitting it up. Okay, okay, good. <laughs> so, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, and our production editor, David Perry, would laugh at that because he sent me a uh, message the other day and he was like, Leslie, we might have to split these um, territories up. And I was like, if you split those territories up, I will walk out of my job today. <laughs> and so, it's sure enough, we're not. But And the reason being is because they're both sharing the same sort of geological cratons, okay. right? Yeah. And it's really important to kind of like hold them together because what happens in one like territory is also happening in the other territory. Yeah. And I learned some really crazy things when doing this. Okay. Um, like, I guess maybe I'll just start with the gold deposits, right? Mm. Outside Yellowknife. You know how you yep. have Terra X and then you have um, Nighthawk Gold Nighthawk, up yep. north? Yep. And that sounds good. And they're actually exploring greenstone belts in an Archean terrain, which is actually similar if not identical to the superior terrain oh, okay. which is in the like Abitibi and yep. Red Lake area and yep. all the gold yeah. districts yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's exact same deposits mm-hmm. that they're looking for up north okay <clears throat> but the really cool thing was that stood out for me is that you know the TMAC property Hope, Hope Bay, Bay yeah and yep. then you also have Sabina's Back, Back River. River yeah. Okay, cool. Yep. Those are none of it, right? Yep. But I never really acknowledged before that those deposits are in the exact same geological terrain. It's as, like a slave crater. As Colmac? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. and of course, like Hope Bay has like 5 million ounces of gold. Same thing with mm-hmm. Sabina's property. And so when you look at that, you say, gosh. You, you, you take that craton and then you compare it to the superior where, you know, you have the Abitibi and you have all the gold deposits in Quebec and Ontario. Yep. And it really starts kind of um, becoming more clear about the potential of the slave craton in none of it and also in Northwest Territories. And yep. that was that was like kind of blew my mind a little bit. I was like, whoa, I didn't know that they were part of the same beast. Well, because I remember you talking to uh, Dr. Michael Byron at Roundup, who is the president and CEO of Nighthawk, right? And you guys yeah. had a pretty serious conversation about why that Colmac property was underexplored previously, right? Yeah. So, I mean, but the same thing with um, a lot of these deposits like Amaruk, like Igniko's, they all came out of nowhere, basically, Well, right? this is the next interesting thing. Yeah. So, the gold in um, Amaruk that you see, right? Yeah. That you hear about. And okay, whale so, tail and all that stuff. Totally. Yeah. So, th- this, th- this is a big thing that I learned. And it's a really important take home is that all the other gold deposits that we know of, like Meliadine, mm-hmm. Amaruk, Meadowbank, those are all hosted in the Ray Craton. So yep. the, the Ray Craton and the Slave are like sutured together about two and billion years ago. The Ray ago. is really old, right? No, no, it's, 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 it's kind of like a bit young. younger than the Slave Than the Craton. Slave, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah so, yeah. but it's still archaean to late um, Proterozoic rocks. Yeah. But the really interesting thing is about the Ray, and really important thing to remember, is that it has been deformed like crazy. It's mm-hmm. been like hit on all sides by Cratons 
during the assembly of North America, mm -hmm. and the rocks were completely metamorphosed. Okay. So really high temperatures, really like intense pressures. So what happens when you have a gold deposit that's Archean age and then suddenly gets metamorphosed? It just well, yeah. gets yeah. obliterated. Obliterated. Yeah. So any sort of like Archean age orogenic gold deposits and BMS deposits, or maybe like Archean magnetic nickel copper, they wouldn't have survived those tectonic events in the ray. Yeah. So there's pockets of greenstone belts in the ray that are still preserved, that are shadowed, that hasn't had that really high metamorphism that you see in the parts. Okay. But it's something for people to really look at when they're exploring the ray. Because you can't go finding a greenstone deposit, yeah. which is a reflection of the greater metamorphism, aka green schist. Yeah. That's why yeah. it's called greenstone. Green schist. You're not yeah. gonna be able to find a green schist orogenic gold system in, in an amphibolitic rock. Yeah. <laughs> like it doesn't, it, yeah, no, that it, makes sense. It to doesn't me. make sense. So interestingly enough, all the gold at Melia, Melia, Meliadine and Meadowbank, those gold that gold mineralization occurred a billion years after the gold events in the superior oh, and wow. in the slave. Wow. They're a lot younger. So why don't you I'm just trying to get a sort of a map view of what you're talking about. So the ray and the slave, would they do they both run through the NWT and Nunavut sort of equally, or is it is it Yeah, one? so, well, like, if you have none of it, yeah. and the, sorry, you have Northwest Territories and none of it, mm -hmm. and then you have the Great Slave is off to the west, okay. right? It's yeah. like this ball, this pink ball on maps. Yeah. And then sutured against that is the ray, and the ray is probably the most extensive craton, I think, in, in North America. It just, it just shoots from, like, the Canadian Cordillera all the way to, like, I think... Greenland. And it something. comes a bit south, right? Because you see it in parts of Alberta. It goes into Alberta. Just, yeah. just the end of it goes into Alberta. Yeah. And but you, look, look at a map, that's probably the easiest. Yeah. But um, the Meliadine stuff, like, that's really, like, relatively young, gold mineralized event. And how that happened is that, you know, we have between the ray and there's another craton right next to it it's called the Hearn yeah. there's this huge tectonic zone it's called the snowbird okay and a lot of the gold deposits that you see in the ray is sitting on top of the snowbird the age of the snowbird being 1.9 billion years which is around the same time that gold was introduced into Meliadine and Amaruk and whatever yeah so they think that maybe the snowbird has something to do with it um, and the idea there being is that the fluids that traveled up through these snowbird structures found a chemical trap, and the okay. chemical trap being banded iron formations. Yeah, yeah. Because Which that's something else we hear about heaps. It's like banded Committee iron Bay, formations you hear that a lot. and yeah. none of it, and yeah. in um, like other parts. And I always thought to myself, why do we always hear about banded iron in up north, but you don't really hear about it much in, in the Superior? Yeah, no, 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 you don't. Yeah, um, they use a lot of the iron magnetism to, to prospect up. Around those district scale areas in, in the territory, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So now, gold—the gold mineralization that we see up north doesn't really discriminate between like you can you can get banded iron formation Archean age or yeah. Proterozoic age. Okay. It really depends, but it's a really good trap. But in the case of the Proterozoic age deposits, the ones that we know, a lot of them are hosted in um, banded iron formation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because I guess like the main origin has kind of come and passed, like the greenstone belts, and you, you name it is already there. And there's blackwood iron associated a lot and of there's time. tons of yeah. iron yeah, yeah. so it's because you have the mary river up in baffin island mm. which is part of the committee bay gold yeah. belt which is what Oren is, is looking at looking at and there's big um and like really high grade iron deposits so high grade that they basically mine out of the ground and ship it back. yeah and that's the only way it's profitable so i thought that was really interesting and and something important to note the other thing i wanted to ask is we talked a lot about gold but obviously 
there's diamonds is a big conversation cool, um, yeah. in NWT. So how to that does it play does into, that fit into? Yeah. It? Well, yeah. you know, like I mentioned, the slave craton. Yeah. Okay. So at around two billion years ago, when the North American plate was being assembled, yeah, you had this other like chunk of rock called the bear okay. on the west side of the slate, and it just like collided in. And when it was colliding, it started to subduct underneath the slate. And if you can imagine it, the, the subduction plate was very shallow, so it got basically stuck underneath the slate. Okay. And so what ended up happening was that that lengthened the, the thickness of the crust to the point where everything below was pushed down into the diamond stability field. Okay. So where anything that was like carbon was converted into diamonds. Okay. In this really thick package of this like combined rock package with the slave and the bear. And then around 55 million years ago, um, Kimberlites just basically popped through the whole thing yeah. and brought the diamonds up to surface. And yeah. that's in the Lac de Gras region that we see. And also in the none of it portion, that's Jericho as well. That's right. Yeah. So all part of the same sort of system. But interesting enough, I actually made a mistake with the, um, you know, Kind of Alaska. Yeah. I think there was a bit of confusion that the Ray Craton holds all the diamond mines. It actually doesn't. Okay. Um, that's, that's, that's a slate. So all the diamonds that we know of in that part of Lac de Gras is in this great slate because of that it, added thickness. It was a can of Alaska quote that said the Ray, Ray province was important for diamonds. Yes. But it, that didn't turn out to be particularly the case. Um, but uh, the other thing that's interesting, so you also see a lot of diamonds around Quebec in the Otis, re Otis region and stuff like that. And there's greenstone there too. Is it is it a similar event sort of thing that's going on probably there? I know that like I think the span of diamond ages and kimberlite pipes in Canada go from like 55 to 100 million years ago. I did um, not know that. Yeah, so like some really young, some not so much. I know that there is some diamonds kind of not in the Ray, but in Baffin Island. Yeah. The Ray is sutured against the Trans Hudson origin. Okay. 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 So it, it, just bear with me here. Mm. And there's like this exotic like chunk of Archean crust that's entangled within this orogenic belt that was super old. Um, and they found some diamonds there, and that's Peregrine's Chippewa. Peregrine, yeah, yeah, that's right? a remote uh, remote project, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it was on Bath. But they've yeah. got the Mary River mine there, too. They so do, yeah. Some, yeah. some things kind of work. And like we said, diamonds aren't as big a deal because you can fly it out on a plane. Yeah, right? you, you totally <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In my pocket. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, yeah. I think that the take home there is with Kimberlites is, you know, they, they do follow old ancient um, crustal sutures because it was easy for those volatile rich magmas to, to follow those and, and break through the crust and grab it out. So nice. there's that one. So that's really interesting. The other thing, take home, is, you know, the Athabasca Basin, yeah. and it's counting for like 20% of the world's like uranium production. Yeah. Well, we have the exact same basin spanning the border of Northwest Territories and none of it. It's called the Thelon. Did you know that? Well, Kavalik Energy, which is a company I'm familiar with, has a uranium project up there. And Areva was actually, as the yeah. French uranium conglomerate, as everybody who listens to the show probably knows, um, had a, was active up there exploring for uranium as well. There is some, and they were very close to, uh, I think, putting something into production up there. Yeah, um, they got kind of... Yeah, issues. but I mean, it, it, uh, the also the logistics is just... I mean, you're going to have to ship it out by boat, probably, right? So, yeah. like, or like, I know with the Peregrine thing, they're thinking of building like a massive winter road to, to the project, but like, when you get into those kind of areas, it's like, the actual infrastructure and logistical challenges are fairly enormous. enormous. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and that's what really kind of drew my attention with um, Nunavut and Northwest Territories is because it hasn't been... 
um, because it's so remote. When you look at a geological map of Canada, you'll see all this crazy detail, especially in BC, Yukon, and Ontario, Quebec. But the farther you go north, it becomes more big, indistinguishable blobs of pink, and yeah. like it becomes like more monochromatic. Yeah. And the reason being is because government geologists or industry geologists have never really gone in and mapped it in any meaningful detail. It's been at like a hundred thousand, two hundred and fifty thousand scale maps, which neither by the, the way is like the airplane. The explorers, really, right? There hasn't been totally. Yeah. So I mean, these places where you know we we make a lot of assumptions in the geology up north. Yeah. And the idea of you know Meliadine and Agnico has made a really great go of it, and then you have um, all the gold projects going on in in Northwest Territories. I mean, the last remaining piece is is basically access mm -hmm. um, because the deposits are there, and there's multi-million ounce deposits um, for gold and. And you have diamonds and then base metals not so much because yeah you have to move a lot of material, material. yeah but yeah. it happens like you have polaris and pine point yep. those are mbt deposits yeah we talked about those that were yeah. really um successful and yeah. they've been mined out and they're yeah. world class so there's still lots of opportunity in the north and it's extraordinary how for me when i was like learning about it i was like gosh like there's there's so much there to explore for and so much to discover and if you, all those stars align you got yourself something like really good yeah it's a cha challenging place to work i did I, I think we talked i did some kimberlite troughing up in in nwt when i was like 17 and we worked out of fly camps and like yeah walking through the muskeg for like 15 kilometers with a troughing uh, equipment to go into the low-lying streams and trough for Kimberlite is like a challenging experience let's just say like I lost like 20 pounds that summer or something like that it was like Silly. it was fairly extreme yeah. yeah it was good though I mean it's it's good to uh, I was actually working with a junior at a joint venture with the beers at the time so it was kind of it was a fun experience but it was uh, you can see when you and you've been up there right and just how uh, how challenging it is like you need helicopters for like everything yeah like you can just think about the costs of, of exploring up there that's why i was talking to um orin i think it was orin i was talking to you and they're using those like those like drill rigs that are on treads they were looking at those like um route i think they're rotor air blast drills that just they can just like they have a radius of like 200 kilometers don't quote me on the numbers because i can't really remember but you can like remote control them from a location they just drive across your property and just cool. drill like is it like those vacuums that you put in your home yeah like go forth and no clean. no you have to I, well, actually maybe you can program them you probably can so you just give them a coordinate and they just go yeah and you're go sitting and, back drinking coffee watching, yeah, yeah, yeah. watching the muskox pass. all these soft geologists now don't have to do anything they just send the robots like send the robots send yeah. the robots and give me the wi-fi password well that was a big thing too because i remember um sean ryan was talking about that in the yukon as well was using uh drone technologies and robot technology to prospect in those kind of areas yeah like radiometric surveys are probably sick up there because yeah. like they're so exposed yeah and the radiometrics are like it's just beautiful you can you can map with radiometrics if you get a good survey and i mean what's the um What's the surface or overburden like up there? Is it mostly it's glaciated? Mostly hard. glaciated. Yeah. Is it? Okay. Exposed yeah. to glaciated, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So and it'll vary because we're talking about like the whole. Oh, yeah, it's a large area. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. but I think I think it's interesting for people to like keep to the districts that are active. Yeah. Right, and then and then they can like find anything. I mean, case in point, Agnico. They're like, oh, Meadowbank is going to be running out of ore in the next two years. Maybe we should go out and look over here. <laughs> and they threw a stone and where it landed. It landed on a 3.7 million ounce gold deposit called Whale Tail. And it just goes to show that 
you know, there's gold there. You just have to go looking for it. So you've talked to a lot of the geologists who work up there. Um, you've talked to the guys at Ignico and uh, Nighthawk, obviously. Is there any sort of um, common thing they all say about working up there or any sort of sort of observation they have that, that has been helpful to them when they explore? You said they threw a rock. I don't know if they... Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, is there anything that kind of stands out to you when they're working up there that all the guys seem to do or, and girls seem to do when they're... I think, I think maybe um, permitting is always a big challenge. Yeah. Um, and structural, obviously, because there's no data on... There's, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's no. There's not. There's very little geological data that's available because yeah. it hasn't been mapped, it yeah. hasn't been explored properly. So that's all going to work against them. Um, but in places that do have enough information, they can go in. And but then you got to get permits and land use permits to be able to go and land. So and that that holds them back out. Of well, we know what's going on with Sabina, obviously, at Back River. Yeah, they had the caribou herd yeah, that was going that's through. Running around and, all over yeah, the place. Yeah, it's like breeding grounds. Yeah, basically. yeah, yeah. But I was talking to um, the. Uh, the government there about that and from the sounds about the community was really like gung ho for it. It's just yeah, that it was like, I think it was uh, uh, actually a First Nations band from NWT who had the biggest issue with uh, the mine because they the caribou herd was a big was source of food. Their... Yeah, it's like you got to pay attention when you're doing with caribou. They like run across the whole country basically. So like, right. yeah, yeah, they have so the, downstream effect. They have massive it. migration uh, loops. So uh. like you could be building a mine in one place and then like somebody 200 kilometers away will be like, oh no, that mine might affect me. And they'll be like, why? Be like caribou's run from here to there, and it's like, oh no. Yeah. Well, so, apparently it has a lot of like community support. People want to have yeah, ahead locally. So yeah, I've job. heard that. I've heard that locally, too. Locally, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah but normal. it was it was federal, and because the issue there is with none of it is that it's not devolved yet, right? Yeah. So it's like this limbo sort of government system where people have to like go through permitting three times. Well, even even the Yukon and the Tier, the evolution is not. The, very yeah. far down the Well, down I don't know track. how long the Yukon has been, but Northwest Territories it devolved in 2014. So they're still yeah. kind of going through. They're going through it, yeah. Like, they're, you know, walking on their own. Yeah. <laughs> With none of it, they, they aren't walking on their own. They've got, like, three people. So yeah. the federal, the, the feds were just, like, five off the project. And well, the other thing you have to remember about those areas is uh, population density is not very high. So it's... Fly in, play out. Yeah. Operations. Yeah. And we, we talk about that in the Yukon all the time, too, that, like, the entire territory has a population of under 40,000 people, so it's like... It's but like, all those people still need to work. Yeah, yeah. But they, you also <laughs> have to remember when you're dealing with um, or, or working with them that their uh, bench strength is only so much, right? Like their capacity to process paperwork and yeah. do everything they need to do is they just have just less right. people, right? So when you're working with like a province like BC or Ontario or Quebec or something, they just have way more capacity to, yeah. to deal with all that. Not that that makes us any better at it, but... Yeah. We, we have more people running around. That would be worse, though. You just get more bureaucrats, so I don't know. Right. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but uh, yeah, that was a lot that we kind of went off on the sociopolitical yeah. side of the <laughs> geology corner there. But, um, yeah. but the one thing, too, lastly to mention is, like, I mentioned how Chidliac um, Diamonds off of Baffin Island. Yeah. To the south, you have this exotic terrain. It's called the Trans-Hudson Origin. So all these rocks have been, like, beaten up during the Trans-Hudson. Yeah. Now, this is kind of a newly recognized thing. I was talking to government geologists yesterday. And when they were mapping it last year, they found a lot of ultramafic silts. 
Okay. If anybody knows about the Trans Hudson origin in my previous articles, you'd know that it falls along the Thompson Nickel Belt and um, the Rankin, like the Cape Smith Belt in Quebec. So major, major nickel deposit yeah. regions. Yeah. And so they're saying that there's a potential that to see for magnetic nickel copper okay. in southern Baffin Island that hasn't been recognized before. So hot tip for anyone who has been Where is Aston Bay working? That storm project that they oh, had because uh, they had a JV with the BHP that's but it's not anymore. I think it's farther north, like near um, Polar. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. that makes sense. I have to yeah. put it on a map. But yeah, we'd have to look it up. That's kind of like not. I know it's way up somewhere in the yeah. middle of nowhere. It's like in the yeah. Arctic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Anyway, well, so something interesting, yeah, and keep go. your eye out for the article. It's rad ass, and I think I might even like spin it into like quick summary Canada breakdown, um, Canada wide geology. Because it's actually really easy when you uh, think about it. But you should do it on a map, like point form. Yeah, it's always going to. Doing a video, Matt. Yeah, yeah we I was like going to get a little video and be like, "This is this, everybody." And there we then, go. And and suddenly the veil of, of enigma around why people are exploring wherever it is that they're exploring will suddenly hit you like a ton of bricks, and you'll awaken in that moment with your eureka and say, "It all makes sense, <laughs> and I know where to look next." There so you that's go. kind of my idea. Anyway, yeah. this has been the GLG Corner. Live from the coffee shop. Live from the coffee shop. <laughs> I'm all awake now. <laughs>
are still working on the itinerary for the event, um, but it's just going to be great to have some of Canadians or Canada's leading miners there uh, alongside some uh, really powerful entrepreneurs in, in the form of Freeland and Lundin uh, to talk about and uh, celebrate uh, Canada's 150th year of Confederation, but also um, it's rich mining history and uh, uh, all the promise that we still have uh, across uh, across the entire country. So it's going to be a, a great event. Um, I believe sponsorship opportunities are still available. Um, in terms of uh, jurisdictional sponsors, we have the Northwest Territories. The Yukon government has hopped on board. Uh, the TMX is also sponsoring. Um, and uh, it's going to just be a good event, a one-day event. Uh, once again, um, it is on May 9th uh, in the UK. So do, uh, do, do uh, surf by our website. There's a, a, a great deal of detail on there. Uh, we continue ex- to expand the list of uh, really strong presenters um, and I think it's going to be a really good opportunity for Canadian companies and Canadian representatives to meet uh, individuals from uh, European capital markets and sort of maybe potentially introduce jurisdictions and projects uh, um, to investors across the Atlantic. Uh, so it's going to be really fun stuff and uh, we will continue to release information um, as uh, people join as speakers and also as we uh, sort of fine tune the agenda. Uh, so yeah, do take a look at the Canadian Mining Symposium. You can hop over to northernminer.com. Uh, all the details will be there. Uh, John Cumming, our editor-in-chief, wrote a nice little uh, blurb on it um, and we continue to uh, look forward to that. It should be great. And as mentioned, that'll also be, I believe, where we roll out the um, Leslie's Big Geological Magazine, which covers all the things we've discussed previously, as well as um, a, a project we're doing with PwC involving use of capital. Um, and we're going to do a roundtable uh, involving uh, the best use of, of uh, excess capital by mining companies and explorers. Um, and we have some really promising companies involved in that roundtable, as, as well as uh, analysts and uh, people on the accounting side as well. So we'll be rolling out uh, the findings from that panel as well. So it's going to be a really fun event, I think. And, and who doesn't like to go to London, right? Um, so uh, yeah, do consider that and uh, stop by our website to check that out that out um, and whilst on the subject uh, please do like us on Facebook follow us on Twitter check out our YouTube and SoundCloud accounts um, and also please do rate this podcast on iTunes because that helps us out a ton um, but yeah that pretty much wraps up our show for the week uh, once again we do appreciate your listenership and uh, please do check out northernminer.com uh, this has been Matthew Keeble and I will talk to you next week